0: Today's scripture is Colossians chapter three, verses three, verses five through seventeen. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you: sexual immor- immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away: anger, wrath, malice, slander and the same talk from their mouths. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, sending psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. He means thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the the Lord. Please be seated.
1: This morning we do have... A special treat Uh, by way of introduction I would like to introduce to you our congregation a friend uh, someone when I grow up I want to be like Um, uh, this gentleman exemplifies humility um, and I when I think of the phrase we take God seriously but not ourselves I think of Aaron Aaron is the pastor of uh, Redemption Alhambra, which is at 19th and Indian School, if you know Phoenix, my RC jokes that that area is is not just Phoenix; it's deep Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not Mesa. It's not Tempe. It's deep Phoenix, and he loves those people in that part of the city. Well, um, we are, I think, among all the congregations in in in, in Redemption, we are most sister like with. Um, Redemption Alhambra. So would you welcome my friend Aaron Daly to preach this morning.
2: That's that's funny because I want to be like Marcus, so this works out. Uh, You know, we could just swap places, you know, that's that's fine. I'm really thankful for Tucson, and by the way, did Jenny just sing or what? Could you give her a hand? That was incredible! Wow. Man, um, I love Redemption Church, and I love what God is doing across the state of Arizona. I love your pastors here. Marcus has been such an inspiration. I thank you for your leadership in Tucson and. We pray for Dave right now as he's taking a, a time of rest. It's a joy for me to come down and kind of fill the pulpit a little bit, to take some relief off of the local pastors to be able to, to have some time of rest and focus. So I hope you're praying for Dave. I know you are. I also I'm so thankful that we get to do life together, even if we're in different cities. Uh, it's a joy. Um, Today, uh, as we stand here and read God's Word, I I always feel like I have to give myself a little bit of an introduction, okay? I am used to more kind of... uh, uh, dialogical preaching. Here's what I mean by that. I think they mean something else, but here's what I mean. When I talk, and if you talk back at me by saying "Amen," it makes me a better preacher. Okay, so even if even if you get a little bit loud or a little buck in here, it's okay with me. I'm used to it. All right. Uh, also, I get loud. So here's the good news: you only have to tolerate me for 30 minutes here. Okay, and then you kind of go, "Man, that was uh, you know that was a lot. Take it in." Breathe, leave. You'd probably never have to see me again. Maybe a couple years from now. Okay, so I, I can't. Uh, and and then here's the other thing. We're family. So everybody needs. A white, crazy uncle, you know what I mean? And so that's me. I'll be that for, for Redemption Church. The one crazy guy who screams a lot, that, that's me, okay? So uh, you can amen me back. I'm fine with that. I think God's word, there you go, thank you. I think God's word is profound and powerful and transformative. And as we, as I get excited, just know it's, it's because I love God's word. You know, um, we have a tendency in our world to take things that God has made whole and to dissect them. And the interesting part of that is we call that dissection, that, that dissection process, we call that deep. That's, that, that's what we call it. That when you take something that is whole and dissect it down to its parts, it actually comes from the spirit of our age. That if you really want to understand something, we're taught to cut that apart and get it down to its smallest parts and study their smallest parts in order to understand the whole. But I think that spirit of this age is also rooted in sin. Because what sin does is take what God has made whole and separates them. Sin, by its very nature, takes harmony and takes the whole realities and calls us to separate, dissect, chop up, and try to understand their unique parts. You see, in our time, what is of its highest value is uniqueness. It is a high value. Here's what you need to understand. Uniqueness is not in its own self a sin, but it is a part of this reality of in our God himself, there are three unique and distinct parts. They are all equal, but they are one. And if you understand harmony, here's what you understand about the Trinitarian God of the Bible, that uniqueness does not cause separation. Uniqueness actually cannot be understood unless it is in unity. Here's what I mean by this. When God created the world, he created what's called shalom. And shalom is this perfect harmony This harmony between all these unique parts, but what makes shalom is when those unique parts are operating and functioning together as one. That shalom is this perfect harmony that reflects the uniqueness of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. I don't know what Tucson is doing into my sinuses here. Phoenix never does this to me. I might need more water. (coughs) Sorry. You see, we live in a world that tells you you can only have either or. You can only have one without the other, but we need a church in an either or society who goes back to both and. We need a church who understands that in order to understand the gospel, we have to understand the wholeness of the gospel before we dissect it. You see, you cannot know a part of something unless you understand the full first. Because the fullness, without the <clears throat> man, you cannot know the part fully without seeing it connected to the whole. If you don't understand, The whole, you can't understand the part. You see, the mystery of the gospel is when two become one. Not when each one is unique, but when two unique parts become one, the mystery of the gospel is revealed. You see, we are designed together. So when sin separates us from each other, what happens is we are living outside of our design. When it separates us from God and when it separates us from each other, we are living outside of our design. We are created and designed to be together. Here's what I mean. If I really want to know my wife, I don't ask her to be cut apart into pieces and study her kidney so that I can understand her. I don't dissect my wife. I want to understand her inner wholeness. You see, I think many of us are killing the whole to try to understand parts. I'll take another one. I'm sorry, I'm nursing this water here today. Thank you so much, brother. You're a good gift. So many of you are treating God the same way. What we try to do with God is instead of trying to understand the either-or, I mean the both-and reality, we've made him an either-or God. Instead of understanding the harmony of God and the way in which he works together, what we have done is dissected him and called it theology. As much as I think theology is important, can we at least admit that our theology oftentimes is dissecting parts of truths that God preaches and dismissing them from their whole? Let me tell you how important this is. How many of us have been a part of traditions that emphasize the beauty of Christ's death? This is an incredible truth of the gospel, that Jesus died for us but you realize that the death of Christ without the resurrection is not as profound. (laughs) There are other traditions that emphasize the resurrection and don't like to talk about his death. The wholeness of the gospel would emphasize his death and his resurrection, not either or, both and. There are some traditions that emphasize Jesus, Jesus only. They talk a lot about Jesus, and they dismiss the Holy Spirit and the Father, thinking that if we know Jesus, that's all we need to know. Here's the problem with that. Jesus refuses to let you know him without knowing the Father and the Spirit. Matter of fact, he says, you can't know me without knowing the Father and the Spirit. Some of our emphasis on Jesus can actually be a dissection. But Jesus becomes more fully known as the Spirit illuminates him to us, and when we know Jesus, we know the Father, and when we know the Father, we get to know Jesus. Today, as we talk about this text, there are churches that emphasize taking off sin without emphasizing putting on new life. And there are churches that would emphasize putting on new life, and they're not talking about taking off. See, the reality of this text as why it needs to be read in harmony is because if you just see the gospel as a list of sins that you need to stop doing, you're gonna miss its fullness. You're actually gonna enter into something that Paul and all the apostles continue to warn us about, do not fall into legalism where you think that Christianity is just about you stopping doing bad things. Here's what the gospel does. It makes us all good little boys and girls. We boast about the things we don't do and don't talk about the things that we should be doing. Or we emphasize the things that we are doing and we don't talk about the things that we are, the sins that we're committing that are causing us to disrupt shalom. And here's how Paul presses into as we study this text together. He, he talks about this idea that over all these virtues, in verse 14, put on love. Because it binds all of this together in perfect unity. What he's calling us to is unity. And the reason why I want to start with verse 14 is because I think this is the, the profound importance of the whole text. The reason you need to take this off and put this on is because you need unity. The reason we need all these things to to be together is because what Christ has done is bringing all things that have been separated because of sin, and he's bringing them back together in unity. The reason Christ died and resurrected is so that we who were dead could be made alive. The reason we should put off these things and put on these things is because of unity. See this. First of all, he says, because you are alive. If you remember what we studied the last few weeks, Paul makes some pretty huge claims. He talks about you seated with Christ in heavenly places. He talks about you being close to the Father because you are in Christ. He talks about your new nature. He talks about what Christ has done and he speaks of these things as already realities. So here's he does it again, because you are alive. There's some things you need to put to death. Here's what he's showing you. Your new life in Christ doesn't match the dead things you're still operating in. So then he mentions some of those things. I don't want you to read these as a checklist. I just want you to see them as examples of ways and contextual ways that this church could have been struggling. There could be other things that were not mentioned here, but I do want us to see how these things can disrupt shalom, sexual immorality, impurity, Lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying. So what does he say? These old dead behaviors, they don't unite with your new life. If you're wanting to live in harmony, these are things that are disrupting your new life in Christ. So if the the theme of this text is harmony and unity, those sins are killing that. So... If you have a renewed nature and and this knowledge of the creator and, and the things that your new nature are, I don't want you to see this list as legalism. We have a tendency when we preach grace to see anything that talks about sin as a list of rules and then we call it legalistic. Yes, I do believe. Like any good redemption person, that it is by grace you have been saved through faith, it's not of yourself, it's a gift of God. You do not have your salvation because you have followed this list of rules. But because of what Christ has done, and because of grace, and because you were dead and now made alive, and because you are seated with Christ in heavenly places, it's not legalism to say stop living like a dead person. That's not legalism. That's asking you to live in harmony with what you already are. So if as you read this list, you're feeling conviction, that's the Holy Spirit going, this is not who you are. You know what conviction is? The Spirit reminding you that you're living in ways that are not in line with your new identity, your new nature. That's why David prays, don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your what? Your spirit from me. Why? Because without the help of the Holy Spirit, we would be numb just thinking this is how everybody acts. But the spirit has been placed in us to convict us of these things that are not in line with our new identity. Oh, yeah, you used to live that way, Colossians says, But you have a new nature. So can I just help us here, grace people? Conviction is not legalism. Conviction is not legalism. I'm not giving you a list of rules. I'm asking you to have a sensitive heart towards the Holy Spirit who wants you to live in unity with your new nature. My prayer is that the Spirit would convict us of ways across this room, and each one of you could resonate maybe with one or two or three or all of the things on this list. And if you sense the Spirit digging into your heart and saying, this is not who you are, don't write it off as legalism. Write it off as the Spirit working in your life and convicting you and reminding you of who you are in Christ. Confession of sin is beautiful. We have a tendency to think that the gospel is about emptying us out, sweeping us up, and putting us in order. But there is a parable that Jesus tells of a house that's filled with all kinds of demonic things. And they come in, they empty out the house, they clean it up, they put it in order, and leave it that way. And seven times the amount of demons come back and go, I'm taking the house back over. Why? Because the tendency for us is what we think God wants to do is empty us, clean us, and put us in order. He actually wants to fill us. A house that is empty needs to be filled. And when it's filled with all kinds of life, then there's no space for the demonic or the evil influences to come because, look, they're looking for empty space. The beauty of the gospel is you were cleaned and forgiven, but he didn't just leave you empty he breathed into you his Holy Spirit. He put himself inside of you. You do not have to live this life alone. That's why, if you're going to put off sin, you better put on something new. Because he didn't leave you empty just so you could be clean and a good little boy and girl. And here's what he's filled you with a non judgmental spirit. You don't look at the outward things of people. Compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, and love. You see, if we're really going to live this new nature, it's not just about stopping doing those bad things. My friends, it's about putting on this new life that we have in Here's why I think this day, as we approach a text like this, I want us to admit that sin is cosmic and sin is continuing to separate the harmony of all God's creation. So when we see this, here's what we recognize. That we have been given this call, not just to be cleaned up and and not just to stop doing these things. We have been given this call to live into this new nature of what Christ has come to do, and my my prayer is that we would see what is it that Christ has come to do, And, and here's why I want to press into this. I believe what Christ has come to do is more than just forgive you. Has he forgiven you? Okay, I'm going to say it again. That's that's like a no-brainer for this church, right? Has he forgiven you? But let me press. Could an emphasis or an overemphasis on forgiveness be only a half gospel? or at least a dissection of a full gospel. Because if you feel like only the work that Christ has come to do is just forgive you, you may miss your filling. And what is he filling the world with? He's taking all of the things that have been shredded because of sin And he is bringing all those things in himself back together in unity. You see, sin separates, Christ brings it all back together. And he says there will be a day where all things will be back together as one. No more sin. So yes, you have been restored in right standing with God and yes, you have been restored in right standing with one another and yes, you have been restored in right standing to creation. Brothers and sisters, Jesus' prayer is that we would live as one. Just like him and the Father. You are called to live in unity. Why? Unity is our new nature. It's what we have been created for and designed for. (coughs) And I know that what we want to do here is take this picture and go, okay, Here's what we need to understand. We need to understand how can we live in unity. Give me five steps to live in unity. And here's the problem with our age. We really think if we write it down on paper and if we get a good org chart, we will be able to organize unity. But here's what this text does. It just shows us that unity is not science. It's a song. Unity is not science, it's a song. And if we are designed to live a life of unity, or let me put it this way, like the text does, harmony or shalom, then what we need to understand is in order for us to live in unity across all kinds of social, economic, racial, cultural, all the things that would separate us that this text points out, if you're reading along with me, It is our selfish desires that will separate us. It's our lusts of the flesh. It's all of the things we want for ourselves that will separate us. It is our ungodly drive for uniqueness that pulls us away from shalom. And what the Spirit is doing is saying, listen, not at the church, not in the house of God, not in our Father's house, not at this place, not where God dwells. When you guys get together, bring a song, a hymn, a spiritual song, All of you come with something to give. Here's what we need to understand. The reason why I say unity is not science, it's a song, is because I'm using the illustration from this text. I personally used to sing in all kinds of choirs. So I sang in gospel choirs. I actually spent a season singing in a barbershop quartet where I would travel around. And and, and the whole point of, this, uh, of these kinds of places, and you don't understand it unless you're in it. When you get in a choir or you get in a quartet, and the whole aim of the choir and the quartet is to make a bunch of people sound like one voice. You're matching vowels, you're listening to tones, you're constantly trying to play off each other, and the reality is when you hit a chord, that everyone is matching vowels and tones and volume, it makes a sound that not one person could ever make by themselves. hmm And you won't experience it unless you've hit those moments. Now, there's all kinds of terms that I won't use because they can get all kinds of ways and hit the filthy talk terms, you know. But I will say there's all kinds of terms, this feeling that you get when you hit that moment. Goosebumps everywhere. Why? Because harmony requires something different than science. Have you ever watched any of these shows where somebody's like, yeah, you sang the notes, but you don't have that, uh, I, uh, that it factor, you know? Somebody's like, what's the it factor? Can you write it down on a piece of paper? No, it's just something. Science tries to dissect everything down to its parts and make everything known through this mystery of let's just dissect and pull it all apart. And if everybody does their part, then unity happens. But the reality of unity is it's not like you just understand your part and you get to live in unity. It requires way more. It requires an ability to listen to others and the sounds they're making and try to match what they're doing. It requires not just sounds. It requires a a, a, a way of matching vowels and tones and, and cadence. It requires all kinds of different types of instincts. You have to be willing to not want to be the pop singer who just wants to sing a solo. I'm not saying... There's anything bad about that, but isn't it amazing that in our culture, we would much rather hear one person sing by themselves really good, and we deify and idolize one who can do all kinds of riffs, but can I tell you, those people could never sing in a choir. Because they're more about showing off their vocal range and more about showing off how much they can do and more about showing their uniqueness than they are about creating one sound. And the reality of this text is saying when we live as the people of God, when we are in Christ, Christ is in us, we have this renewed nature and let me just press into this what is the reality of this new nature how does it come out you move from wanting to sing a really good solo where everybody looks at you into a desire for something you've never had before unity We're marked by a desire for harmony again. And we're marked by a desire for things that have been separated to come back together. Why? Because we were designed that way from the beginning. We were designed in shalom. Our hearts ache for shalom. we desire and long for all the things that have been separated because of sin to be brought back together. And when we hear that sound and when we get to taste a little bit of unity, we get a glimpse of heaven. This is why this text calls me and you to take off sinful behaviors because if you look at what sinful behaviors are, they're destroying oneness. They're idolizing selfishness. It's elevating your own desires, your own longings, your own sexual desires, your own lusts of the flesh, your own filthy talk, your own. It's idolizing self and causing the family of God to be shred apart. So many of us just think our sin is just affecting us. That is a lie. But what does the people of God do? They forgive. They have peace. They have love. They walk in such a way where their aim is unity, harmony, and shalom. That's why when we come into a space like this, our longings, When we sit in our seas together, our longings, when we forgive somebody and lay down our own selfish desires and forgive someone who has offended us, our longings are being swallowed up into God's longing desire to say, your kingdom come, your will be on earth as it is in heaven. Could you do something for me? Could you bow your heads, close your eyes? Could you take a moment, just think of all the scripture we've read today, there could be some of you, as you're closing your eyes, that are thinking of ways that you've lived selfishly. You have lived with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, greed, idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, lying. And yes, you have been living death rather than life, but you've also been hurting the unity of your marriage, unity of your family, the unity of your church. You've been hurting all kinds of people, and you're seeing it rip across all of the areas of your relationships, and you're feeling really separated from God. I pray today that the Holy Spirit would tell you you're not living according to your new identity in Christ. You're not living in harmony with who you are. Listen to the sound of heaven and try to harmonize with it. And Here's what harmony is going to sound like. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love, the fruits of the Spirit. Right now, as you are repenting of the things that you have repented of, could you do something with me? And ask, by putting your hands out in front of you, could you just begin to ask that Christ would fill you with his precious spirit? I don't want you to walk out of here just sad about the ways you've broken. Shalom. I want you to see that Christ has given you good gifts. And so you have to ask. Ask by putting your hands out in front of you. Father, those who have their hands out in front of them, I pray that you would fill them with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that they would hear the sound of heaven in this church. This would be a place where people from all backgrounds, all economic status, all racial divides, all cultural divides, would come together and sing the song of heaven, harmonizing together, that this would be a place of unity and love. Yes, I know we're going to have to forgive. Yes, I know we're going to have to walk in humility. Yes, I know we're going to have to be kind. Yes, I know that it's going to be a place where we feel all kinds of tensions. But Lord, we don't do it because it's comfortable for us. We do it because we want your kingdom. So as we ask, we know that when we ask, you are such a good father that you give good gifts. And you say, even evil fathers will give good gifts to their children, how much more will you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we're praying, Holy Spirit, would you come, would you fill us in Jesus' name?